0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Brian Kiley, and I am the minister here and honored to be so. And we hope that you feel welcome here today. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, multi-generational religious community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritually questing individuals who are joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, including diversity of beliefs, from divine believers to humanists, from pagans to atheists and agnostics. We believe in the compassion of the human heart, the warmth of community, and the pursuit of justice and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on traditional Cree lands that are now part of Treaty 6 territory and shared by many nations. The treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. May we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to our children. If you're new here, we invite you to stick around afterwards, join us for coffee hour, and get to know us a little bit. And if you haven't already done so, there's a membership table outside and literature on the various uh, credences, and certainly please come and talk to me. So as we begin this special hour together, I invite you to quiet your electronic devices that beep, buzz, ring, or play funny tunes so that we can enjoy the service fully. Today we have a special musical guest, the recently wedded Erin Vandermolen-Pater, accompanied by our own Karen Mills, I assume. And uh, Aaron is here because Larry and Louise Cherich are celebrating an anniversary and decided they wanted to celebrate it by bringing live music to the church.
1: The first two songs in the program today, The Prelude and The Offering, are both songs that many of you probably know. Wood River by Connie Calder and Bridge Over Troubled Water by Paul Simon, done by Simon and Garfunkel. With that, if you feel like singing along a little bit today, I welcome you to do so, especially on the choruses. That's kind of easy to get everyone involved. Uh, So we'll start with Wood River. Come with me where the wood river flows. We'll watch meander slowly as the sky turns from red to dark. And as the sun goes down, we'll throw our arms around each other and tell the dreams that are deep in. Won't you come with me where the wood river flows, the little wood river knows that it goes to nowhere, but that doesn't stop it going, or those willows growing, or all of the lovers showing.
0: Our communities of memory and promise are founded on covenants because we all need a defense against the impulse of immediate feelings that challenge our best intentions. It is necessary to be reminded from time to time of what you said you were going to do and what you really want over and above the lure of momentary comfort. Covenant is our word for the solemn promises that counteract the randomness of a future in which anything and everything is possible by committing us in advance to certain relationships and values. And we do this because what we build with intention and even with difficulty is more satisfying in the long run than the pleasures that we happen to encounter. We do it in time consuming rituals, invoking powers that we scarcely know how to name, because we are seeking some way to give our lives the density and dignity and depth that we suspect, with longing, might yet be possible. I'd like to invite Larry and Louise Cherish to come forward and light our chalice today. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Please join me in the unison reading. You'll find it at the back of your hymn book, number 457, to mark the kindling of our chalice. 457. I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. And our first hymn this morning in the same book is number 389, Gathered Here. And I invite you to stand as you're willing or able or in the mood to do and join in singing. And we'll do this, what, three times? Okay. Okay. I'd like to invite the young people to come forward and kindle their chalices before they go off to their sessions. And if you get your teal hymn books out, we will sing 1059 to uh, send the young people on their way. 1059. Good choice, Karen. I love that song. I want to share a reading to set a frame, I guess. This is by Dana Worsnop, who spent a year as the interim minister in Calgary about 10 years ago. She became a good friend. A lot of fun. She writes, I want to be with people. And there is in our gray hymn book, a March Percy poem that starts the same way, that all is about working together and everything else. But this, this is a slightly different direction. Often people say they love coming to a place with so many like minded people. I know just what they're getting at, and I know they aren't getting it quite right. I don't want to be with a bunch of people who think just like me. I want to be in a beloved community where I don't have to think like everyone else in order to be loved to be eligible for salvation. I want to be with people who value compassion, justice, love, and truth, though they have different thoughts and opinions about all sorts of things. I want to be with independent-minded people of good heart. I want to be with people who have many names and no name at all for God. I want to be with people who see me in my goodness and dignity, who also see my failings and foibles and who still love me. I want to be with people who feel their interconnection with all existence and let it guide their footfalls upon the earth. I want to be with people who see life as a paradox and who don't always rush to resolve it. I want to be with people who are willing to walk the tightrope that is life and who will hold my hand as I walk mine. I want to be with people who let church call them into a different way of being in the world. I want to be with people who support and and even challenge each other to higher and more ethical living. I want to be with people who inspire one another to follow the call of the Spirit. I want to be with people who covenant to be honest, engaged, and kind, who strive to keep their promises and hold me to the promises I make. I want to be with people who give up themselves, who share their hearts and minds and gifts. I want to be with people who know that the human community is often warm and generous, sometimes challenging, and almost always a grand adventure. In short, I want to be with people like you. Each week, we take an offering to support the work of this community. We are self-governing and self-supporting. We also share part of our offering with the outside world. For this month, we're sharing our abundance. One half of the unidentified cash coming into the plate goes to Camp Firefly, a wonderful organization that helps young people who are LGBTQ, questioning, transgender, etc., go to camp in the summer and spend time in nature in a safe place, doing workshops and building friendships. You're invited to participate in our celebration of giving, This is part of what community is, is giving back to the community as the ushers take the offering. And if you like, there are envelopes in the back of the hymn book if you're giving cash and want to have an identified contribution and get a tax receipt at the end of the year. I'll ask the ushers to take the offering and invite Aaron to sing once more. receive the offering please join in the song printed in the order of service For our meditation this morning, I'd like to invite you to remain seated and we'll sing number 1031 in the Teal Hymn Book. 1031, May I Be Filled With Loving Kindness. These words by the late Gordon McKeeman, known to all as Bucky, wrote Anyone's Ministry. Ministry is a quality of relationship between and among human beings that beckons forth hidden possibilities. Inviting people into deeper, more constant, more reverent relationship with the world and with one another. Ministry is carrying forward a long heritage of hope and liberation that has dignified and informed the human venture over many centuries. It's being present with, to, and for others in their terrors and their torments, in their grief, misery, and pain, knowing that those feelings are our feelings too. Ministry is celebrating the triumphs of the human spirit, the miracles of birth and life, the wonders of devotion and sacrifice. It is witnessing to life-enhancing values, speaking truth to power, speaking for human dignity and equity, for compassion and aspiration. Ministry is believing in life in the presence of death, struggling for human responsibility against principalities and structures, that ignore humaneness and become instruments of death. It is all these, and much, much more than all of them, present in the wordless, the unspoken, the ineffable. It is speaking and living the highest we know and living with the knowledge that it is never as deep or as wide or as high as we wish. Whenever there is a meeting that summons us to our better selves, wherever our lostness is found, our fragments are united, our wounds begin healing, our spines stiffen, and our muscles grow strong to the task, there is ministry. I invite you into the silence. He said... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the great commission by Jesus of Peter, who up until then had been known as Simon. Petrus is, of course, from which we get Peter, Petrus is a Latin word for rock, a Latin word a language that Jesus and his apostles probably did not speak, but that's beside the point. Those words recorded only in the Gospel of Matthew became a powerful statement. This sentence effectively created the religion that was meant to live beyond the life of Jesus. By renaming Simon and commissioning Peter as the next leader, Jesus was grounding the continuation of his mission, literally and metaphorically, in the hands of his chosen successor, the Rock. And so the line of succession was created that leads directly to Pope Francis in the Roman Church and a host of patriarchs in the various Orthodox churches. I looked them up. There are a lot of patriarchs. However, those words came to be written down, whether Jesus said them or not is irrelevant. The line was created. Now, if you're a lover of tradition, there is something poetic and even noble about a line of succession that stretches back 2,000 years We talk about dynasties in sport that go for like five Stanley Cups and think that's a magnificent thing. Two thousand years. On the other hand, a more detailed examination of the supposedly unbroken line of the Roman papacy reveals the many flaws and foibles in some very flawed and very human popes and patriarchs who have held their high office. Grounding the power of the church in the hands of a single person created a clear line of authority, yes. And it was the custom of the time, the time of kings and queens and emperors. But such a structure of authoritarian hierarchy comes with several flaws, starting with the character of the leader. Some have been wonderful, some not quite so much and the structure itself is prone to the political maneuvering and Machiavellian machinations. The quest for power has more than a few times combined with human moral flaws to create a wide array of abuses and even criminal activity. Well, in the late Middle Ages, a lot of people started to notice and grow restive. Absolute authority and the accompanying corruption was challenged both politically and religiously. And like all revolutions, some groups in the Reformation wanted a little bit of change, clean things up a little bit, and others wanted a great deal more, sweeping radical changes. So when the radical wing of the Protestant Reformation came into being about 500 years ago, they protested both the authority of the church hierarchy and the theology that had been devised to support that authoritarian structure. They had new and challenging interpretations of scripture. Remember, Gutenberg's printing press had only recently made the Bible available to a much wider audience of scholars and priests and wealthy individuals. Getting to read the whole Bible instead of carefully selected portions designed and chosen in order to support the, the, the power of the church, well, that opened a whole lot of new realms of thought and debate. So first there came the rejection of the authoritarian structure of the Christian church, but that included in some quarters a rejection of the iron grip of the clergy held on doctrine and dogma and indeed the daily life of people in their communities. The sects that sprang up at that time, sects that included the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, and yes, Unitarians, rejected the idea of priestly authority being divinely ordained. And here they did not mean just the Pope and the bishops. They came to believe that there was no scriptural justification for the privileged priestly intermediary caste placed between the person and their God. They might have learned guides, you know, ministers, but they should be called up from the community and never, ever given absolute power over belief. They were not to be the judges of all who would gain heaven or who would be sent to hell. Only God had that power. And people had to have direct access to the divine. As you might guess, this resistance was not well-received by the church authorities the catholic church and even some of the some of the original protestant groups that only wanted to go a little bit down the road one bohemian priest jan hus was burned at the stake for challenging priestly authority and privilege his crime after giving out the bread of communion on sundays he also passed around the wine cup a ritual hitherto reserved Only for the priests. Burned at the stake. For passing around the wine cup. They really wanted to keep their wine to themselves. (laughs) So that simple passage from Matthew's gospel. You are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Had spawned an immense institution. But human foibles were now causing the crack of of its foundation 1,500 years later. But I think there's a greater significance to the upheavals of the Protestant Reformation. The radical religious leaders began the first halting steps towards civil democracy as well as religious. The age of royal authority would not disappear easily. Indeed, it would last for another three to three and a half centuries. But in reclaiming the right of religious authority for the people, the inevitable slide away from authoritarian rule began. A new model was available. One where people had an increasing say in creating covenants that would bind them together, in shaping belief, in defining their role in the church community. They now had a significant role to play in creating new models of leadership. Now, in church terms, from that radical reformation sprang a new organizational philosophy eventually called Congregationalism. It would have as many different expressions and forms as there were new religious groupings. There would be Episcopal models where the authority would be uh, vested in, not vested in a single person, but in a council of bishops. Uh, Episcopos is the Greek word for bishop. There would be models where congregations would elect councils of elders, sometimes called vestries or presbyteries, who would then elect larger councils. So from out on the fringes of radicalism came congregationalism. Each religious community, though it might be bound in association with similar religious communities, was to be free and independent, the people the members would elect their own leaders and choose their ministers. No authority from the denomination could impose decisions or doctrines on local communities. There might be wise counsel offered, attempts to negotiate unified positions among all the committees, statements and teaching materials, but no congregation could be forced to accept them. People chose to join religious communities based on the idea of the covenants made between the people instead of the commandments handed down from on high. That's an awful long way from you are Peter and upon this rock. Congregationalism is the model of church polity, that's the technical term, that was embraced by Unitarian Universalism. In my career, I've had the honor of serving as the president of the Canadian Unitarian Council and later as the global president of the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists. And I can assure you with 100% authority that the holders of those offices have 0% authority over the lives and decisions made in congregations. And that's the way we think it should be. Within Unitarianism, we have principles, which I discussed last week, but we also have six sources of inspiration, six ideas, concepts, areas of thought that we use to support us developing our beliefs and figuring out how we will interpret the principles on our own. And the first is direct experience of the transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which inspires us to create and uphold life. Your Direct experience. You are the starting place. I can hear popes spinning over in their grave. The idea that you are the first decider, not the priests, not the bishops, not the popes, not the theologians. You are the first deciders of what we believe. What you think and feel and experience in this life is the greatest influencer on the shaping of your personal beliefs. So when you walk into a place like this and decide, you want to be with people like these that this is a place you could call home you arrive with control of your right to believe still intact and respected perhaps you feel a need to formally join the community and to accept the covenant that binds us together terrific great not everybody does the polity of a community like this is build up it's grassroots model We often say it in our invitation to the offering, this church belongs to the members, quite literally. The members of the church own the building. They are the biggest authorities within Unitarian Universalism. Members are shareholders in this property. They decide the budget, the expenditures. Members will also decide in the not-so-distant future what kind of ministry you will have and what qualified minister you will call to serve this position. No Pope, no Patriarch, no Matriarch, no Bishops, nada. Okay, here's the but. Actually, two of them. First, with membership comes responsibility. We are a small bunch, we need to hear all our voices as we make these important decisions. And we need you to contribute time and energy as you are able to the running of the weekly operations of this church. There's no pope to do it for you. No vast resource of wealth and artistic treasures hidden underground in some sort of Roman city. UCE is yours to make wonderful or to let slide. And second, we all know, I think, that absolute freedom is as poor an idea as absolute authority. Without some principles of organization, without some covenant or agreement as to how people will live together in community, we quickly descend into anarchy. We need to have some organizing principles. And so we have this church community. It is a legal entity registered under the Alberta Religious Societies Act. That means we have a set of bylaws registered with the government. They affirm that every member has the right to vote on major decisions. But that can be quite cumbersome in everyday terms. Imagine if we had to call a congregational meeting to go place a paper order for our photocopier. And so there's a provision for us to elect a board of trustees, congregational members to whom we lend A measure of our authority. We ask them to manage the finances, pay the bills, design policies, manage the work, approve curriculum. They look out for the hiring of staff and contractors, the preparation and management of the annual budget. We ask them to figure out how to ensure that we have an adequate supply of volunteers to get the work done. And this year, this new board has also been tasked with taking the first steps in managing the multi-year ministerial transition process. It is quite a load of responsibility. And for all my time here, board after board has done this job effectively and with passion. So today, in a moment, we're going to commission this new board. We elected them at the annual meeting in May, and they have been in charge since July. But today we take on the ritual aspect of recognizing them, of sending them forth to do their work with our blessing. Essentially, we are doing that same ancient succession thing. They are our Peters, and upon these rocks we are building our church for the next year. But before I call the board members up, I'd like to thank David Ray and Marilyn Gay who stepped down in June having completed their terms of service on the board. I'd now like to invite the new members of the board to come up, stand across the front here, and we will do this simple ritual. In a free religious community, to serve is the highest expression of our commitment and love. To be asked to lead is the highest honor. This morning, the people you members of the Unitarian Church of Edmonton have chosen to lead you in the coming year stand before you, except Robert Begg is missing. The relationship between a congregation and board is one of deep respect and mutual regard. You've asked them to take on the work of discernment and guidance. They need you to support them in their work, share ideas and concerns in love, and offer them trust as they fulfill their office faithfully. The work of the church is the work of the people. It is the work of building a world of which we dream. It may require time spent poring over budget sheets, hours spent in meetings where small details are hashed out. It may manifest in shared laughter or outright frustration from time to time. But it is always sacred, for it is in the pursuit of beloved community. Service is an act of faith. Service done faithfully in love is the work of justice and community building. This is what you have asked of these people standing before you this morning, that they serve you faithfully and well. To do this, they need your trust and support. So I ask now the members of this church Will you offer your love and your trust to the board, responding when they seek your input, showing up when they tell you that the work needs to be shared, and listening carefully when they speak of the life of this church? If so, please respond, we will. We will. And to the members of the board, will you be diligent and faithful in your work, bringing your best selves and practicing self-care and open-heartedness? tending with love the details of the work and always keeping the goal of beloved community in front of you as you serve. If so, please respond, we will. We will. May the spirit of love guide you in the coming year. May a spirit of joy infuse the work you engage. And may your service bless the world. Amen. Now I'd like to introduce these people. (laughs) All right. you, You don't have to sing or dance or anything. It's okay. We're missing Robert Begg this morning and Kathy Stanley, who was busy last night with the dinner. So two board members. But we have Yvonne Moreau, Karen Belita, who is our vice president, Karen Mills, who is our president. This is very confusing. We have to go by Karen M and Karen B. We have Gloria Krenbrink, who is our secretary, Brandy Muller Reed, who is new to the board, and Doug Eastwell, who is our treasurer. I invite you to congratulate them. Our closing hymn is number 323 Break Not the Circle. Three, two, three. Um. The palace is extinguished, but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So carry it with you when you leave this place. Share it with those you know and those you love, and most especially with those you've yet to meet. We'll join hands, sing Carry the Flame, and then I invite you to sit down and enjoy Aaron singing a postlude, and and you can enjoy the announcements too. What the heck.
1: natural state. Don't let her out of my sight. She trails off, stares at nothing, laughs at random, and the letters come. She waits by the window when I listen at the door until one day I see by the sad look on her face there's a dreadful plan in her heart. I know you are capable of anything I know you so well, my friend I know you might just run away What am I to do? Who do I ask for help? Is it all on me? Is it all on me? Oh, I will stand in the dark for you I will hold you back by force, I will stand here right outside your door, I won't see you disgraced, I will protect your name and your heart because I miss my friend. I know you've forgotten me, I know you so well, my friend, I know you might just blow yourself over, but I won't let you, I won't let you, it's all on me. I will stand in the dark for you I will hold you back by force I will stand here right outside your door I won't see you disgraced I will protect your name and your heart because I miss my friend, because I miss my friend, because I miss you, my friend.
0: Thank you so much Aaron and Catherine and Larry and Louise for making it happen.